gets away in the wind Across your basin At a place again this is Will Hauk with KNBC and the Roots Rednecks and Radicals, and I'm talking with singer-songwriter Emily Zuzik. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Will. Absolutely. Well, the new album that you, ha- you just released displays a number of different musical influences, and I'd like if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the influences on your style. Okay. Well, I decided with when I was making this record that I was going to make a very disciplined effort to cover the terrain of American music. Now, American music to me uh, feels like blues, roots, jazz, country, rock and roll. It it is a lot of genres as, you know, you break them down by album organization, but they are all very much rooted in the American experience. And I never thought of it this way until I I was overseas playing shows. And when I was playing around the UK, I, I worked with an Italian guitarist and I was talking with Marco and I was like, I don't know what kind of music I play. And he's like, Emily, you play American music. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And it was interesting to hear the perspective of someone who was not from the United States make a total association with all of those forms of music that have their roots in, you know, the American spirit and mm. the American experience. So that, that was how I would say I was uh, inspired to make an American record. Um, as far as like the people and the bands and the musicians that have influenced me over the years, I mean, it goes without saying that the Beatles are at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, there have been things like um, the theatricality of people like David Bowie and Queen with that rock anthemic thing. There's the, the chick rockers of the 90s, like Liz Fair and Alanis Morissette, there are the women who had the big, soulful songs like Patsy Cline in country. Um, I was a big fan of Elvis at an early age. You know, I think all of those things sort of influence how, you know, and obviously how my life has gone. It, those are where a lot of the roots of the stories are. So mm-hmm. it just works out that a lot of the same uh, styles of like the, the, the artists who influence me and the types of songs they sing are often in line with, I guess, how my life has worked out. And that's why, you know, my songs may fall into those, those uh, musical patterns of stories. I don't know how to say it otherwise. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. There's uh, the American, um, the history of American music has, has branched out into so many different areas. It is, it is kind of an interesting deal. And it, it is interesting to hear about the perspective of someone from Europe uh, reflecting on, on your music. Right. And I think Americana, as it is now generally known, sort of encompasses a lot of that. So I feel confident saying it's like an Americana rock album because there's shades of all of that in there. Right. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. You brought up the, uh, the nineties, uh, like Lilith fair kind of, uh, um, thing that was going on with all the, the female musicians. Mm-hmm. And I've had a number of How conversations. How can I not? That was like happening um, when I was coming of age, um, you know, it was huge. Like I'm not some young tyke. I, I, you know, I, I was rocking out to those chicks. I was relating to what they were saying. I was, you know, I wasn't as far, um, punk as like bikini kill, but mm-hmm. I knew, you know, the whole steeped in zines and, you know, sort of like DIY um, chicks rocking out. 
telling real stories instead of I'm at home crying over you right. thing. You know, <laughs> that was so big in 50s and 60s, you know, yeah. chick artists. So with exceptions, of course, you know, but right. it was uh, definitely it was definitely hitting at the right time when I was like as a writer and as a consumer of music. Yeah. I was, I was more into punk rock in that time, that, that Southern California, um, fat records, um, bad religion, Pennywise, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, and all of us liked that music, but none of us could like tell other guys that we liked that music. Cause it was like, it of wasn't course, cool. Cause yeah. you know, there's still like the male female dynamic. I mean, like right. lots of dudes came out to see chick singer songwriters and chick rockers, you know, and there's that whole scene too, right. <laughs> but yeah, there's, I know there's that whole straight edge, punky machismo thing. Like I grew up, like where I grew up, there weren't tons of bands like in our little high school circles, but there were like straight edge, like hardcore bands and you'd go see your friends play in them. And it was totally a dude scene, but you know, it's cool to get heavy too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was there. Um, I've been kind of reflecting on that era. I think I was watching, I think it was the lead singer from Bikini Kill. There's a, a, a documentary called The Punk Singer. Um, and uh, she, she was talking mm-hmm. about how much of a male scene that was. And uh, I was after watching that, I was reflecting on that and kind of feeling bad about that. Like, like, yeah, what? Like, we were all just running around punching each other and not really thinking about, like, anyone else, you know? And that was, that, uh, there was some, like, serious emotional runoff from the Reagan era. <laughs> yeah. That I think a lot of kids found whatever way they could to get it out of their system. Like, because whoever wasn't an Alex P. Keaton type, like, there was right. a lot of rebellion stirring in the pot that kind of, you know, rose out in the the 90s. And, you know, when they commodified it, and you had your, like, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, mm. uh, Alice in Chains. Like, I think a lot of that was like, oh, get me out of here. Right, right. <laughs> That's interesting stuff. All right. Well, I want to talk We've about gone your... totally off the rails. We are nowhere near country right now. <laughs> <laughs> music is music. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, that's totally fine. Totally fine. Well, I wanted to talk about your, your new album. And uh, the new album is titled uh, Torch in Trouble. And it was produced by Ted Russell, Ted, I'm sorry, Ted Russell Camp. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the recording of the album and um, uh, maybe who, who played on it and things like that? Sure. Well, Ted and I uh, met on a gig, and then after the gig, found out we were neighbors, and we both had a a, a collective um, admiration for our own songwriting, like each other's songwriting. <laughs> and so we decided to get together and write a, a tune together, which actually the first tune we wrote was Embers, <laughs> which ended up on the record. And then when it came time to produce, I I started seeing his name bandied about as also a producer and I saw a lot of the acts he was producing and I was like, this is great, man. We should totally do this. I want to work with you. Cause we already knew we worked well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I had a bunch of tunes. There weren't a ton of like super new tunes on this record. A lot of them were, had been around in live sets for 10, 15 years and just never really, they were either never recorded or they were never recorded quite the way I feel like they grew into being as songs in a live set. Mm-hmm. So there were those songs, and then there were a few that were written in the last four to five years, which are the newer tunes on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and we demoed those out. We, we had a 
folder going of like song ideas that weren't written, songs that have been recorded, songs that hadn't been recorded but were done. And we kind of cherry picked the ones which seemed like the best album set, mm-hmm. almost like picking a live set. And then we demoed them and we talked about bands. And I knew there were certain tunes that needed one direction and others that needed another direction. So I had two different bands when we went to Station House hmm. Studio in Echo Park uh, for the basics. The more rocking tunes were done with Ted, John Treffler, also of Shooter Jennings Band, um, and my dear old friend from back in college days, uh, Christopher Alice, who plays with some Americana folks. Um, we're, you know, we've got a lot of lives lived. Um, mm-hmm. And then the second band, which was a lot more moody and, um, and like texture-wise as far as songs were concerned, were um, Ted, Brian Whelan, and Jim Doyle. Okay. Um, and then we had a whole bunch of like after we did basics for both those two sessions we did a lot of overdubs at ted's studio the den um and that involved uh some extra singers like my friend hillary hardy uh extra pedal steel and guitar and vocals with dan wistrom um trying to think i mean obviously irie sang stuff ted sang and played on some stuff Mm -hmm. um and i think that's all the people I'll be terrible if, like, I forget someone, but I'm pretty sure that's everyone. Um, I think we did one session at Dan's studio, too, to get, because he had a Hammond and a Leslie in his uh, studio, so we had Brian Whelan come over, and he played some Hammond on a, a few tracks. Mm-hmm. Like, Brian's great, because Brian can sing, he can play guitar, he can play, he played Whirly and Rhodes and Hammond. I mean, he kind of did everything, but I guess that's what he did with, uh, you know, in Dwight's band, too. So mm-hmm. um, I'm lucky to have worked with all of them. And after we had done the overdubs, you know, uh, it was a combo of like me sitting and doing beginning mixes with Ted and him doing some and flying them, you know, MP3s back and forth. And then we gave uh, Mark Rains where we'd gotten to do the actual final mixes. And then I sent those off to a guy I've worked with on several projects, Duncan Stanbury at Groove Mastering. And he put the final things together. Sonically, you know, then there's all the other stuff involved in making a record like photos and design and blah, blah, blah. But we're not here to talk about that. Yeah, just the music. (laughs) Cool. So we're good. The the, the song Trouble is a fun rock tune. And I was wondering if you uh, you could tell us a little bit about that song and where it came from. Don't feed me that line. Your game's as good as mine. It's never going to be straight up, you know. Well, that one was the first song I co-wrote with one of my co-writers, Benji Rogers, who had a band called Marwood, and we were both in New York at the time. Um, we we had talked about getting together to write. That was the first time we got together, and we wrote that tune. Um, and then I'd had it. I played it a bit. Benji and I and Ari Hest had toured around England, Ireland, Scotland together in 2006, and we were burning, like, kind of, unfinished recordings that were far enough along that we were selling at shows and like I'd be burning these 
these CDRs on my laptop and then hand drawing like artwork on the on the labels. <laughs> so that there was a version of Trouble that is somewhere on a CDR, probably in the UK. <laughs> but um, I always wanted to go back to that tune because I knew it had a it had a lot of legs. And um, so we worked on it. Ted and I, and Ted actually kind of helped rewrite the second verse, which made a lot more sense in in the song. The first verse was very like in jokey <laughs> to a small group of people in New York in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did that. And then when we picked out the band, the the song sort of changed a bit. You know, it became a little more aggressive. It that was like a total Ted thing. Hmm. Um, and uh, and it got faster, and just the style of the song became more. I mean, it's you know, not in your face, punk rock in your face, but um, uh, and but the the original one is a lot groovier. It's a lot more jam bandy. Okay. Um. And I have a version of it. I should send it to you as a little A-B so you can hear it. Maybe I'll send you the MP3 whenever we're done with our call and you can have a listen. Yeah, for sure. I'd like to hear that. It's interesting how, how songs change over time and uh, different, uh, different people influence the direction of where it goes. Yeah. Well, Magic has a pre-recorded. There's an earlier recording of Magic, too, from I think 2009 hmm. that very different vibes. Like, I don't even know how you describe it. Just it, like a, a kinder, gentler, more girly voice version. Hmm. Cool. So the song uh, Chinese Food and Donuts has an amazing title. I mean, that's the type of song that you see and you're like, oh, I got to listen to that one. Um, I'd love to hear the, the, the story behind that song as well. It was Chinese food and donuts After the bars closed their doors Cause you can't smoke inside anymore Chinese food and donuts On a cold, wet L.A. night Maybe my luck will start changing Well, this is a funny one that people keep gravitating towards because, yeah, that title's awesome. Um, I was trying to put together a country project when I first moved to L.A. And... I was looking to try and write songs. So I was like, people send me titles. Like I went on Facebook. I was like, I need titles for country tunes. And a friend of mine who uh, uh, worked in advertising, but she was always a big supporter of musicians. Her name is Lisa Schiavello sent me that title. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I'm writing it. Um, And that's how, and the song just, I had just moved to to LA like within the year. And that title seemed so LA to me, like it was fraught with like noir and, you know, we see what like strip malls look like here in the Valley and in, in parts of LA. They're like, it's a weird amalgam of stuff. And you know, there's like some place, which it's a Chinese run donut shop. There's like five of them in my neighborhood, but I thought, you know, this would be perfect. Like an old LA diner with bank and it's open all night. And that's another thing like driving in LA on uncrowded freeways at night is like such a particular experience that I've only had here. 
that it just, all of these things were very new to me when I solicited the title. And then I got that title and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I just poured all of my early LA experience into that song. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, LA, man, LA is a, I got a definite love-hate relationship with LA. It's a, it's an interesting town. Yeah, well, it's, I think every town you can have a love-hate relationship with. They all have their pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. And um, finding the jewels of unique experience in each place is the stuff of lyrics and poetry and short stories. And, you know, I, I always love that about places like New York and Austin and San Francisco. And, and sometimes it's like a place like San Francisco in a certain point in time that you can mm-hmm. narrow down and just like, oh, yeah, those are all the same things you're reading or you're hearing in a, in a lyric. And it really captures the culture at mm-hmm. a point in time. Now, I'm not saying I'm capturing the culture of L.A. when I moved here, because I'm sure that L.A. was more the 90s, you know, than now. But I, I had this romantic idea of what this place was like that I was envisioning as the character in the song and just wrote from there. And actually Ted, Ted was part uh, writer on the bridge. Like he, he came up with some of those great images and um, you know, the uh, late night buzz and serving trays, you know, like Mm -hmm. you can just hear that. You can just hear hear that in like, you're sitting in a banquet and it's, you know, and I always like the little in joke on the chorus, you know, it's like, about like because you can't smoke inside anymore yeah i love that line (laughs) i don't even smoke anymore but it was just like it i lived through how many of those when the cities were converting to no indoor smoking i think i lived through it in san francisco and then in l in new york and then in la and Mm -hmm. it just seemed like it was such a demarcation point right and i don't have a lot of people around me who smoke anymore but you know i get around country circles and there's definitely a lot more smokers (laughs) (laughs) so it makes me you think of that line a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, sometimes I miss it. I grew up, my dad smoked when I was growing up and, uh, there's certain situations where you, you, you'll smell it and, and it'll be like, oh, I'm kind of nostalgic. I don't like that smell, but it makes me a little nostalgic too. It's kind of weird. Right. Oh, well, you know, there are times when I get nostalgic and if I'm around it, like I'll bum a cig, you know, I won't smoke <laughs> the whole thing, but it's just like for two drags, it's like a nice experience and I stomped it out. <laughs> Don't let my daughter know. She'll get really ticked off at me, but (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely like a guilty pleasure that comes up occasionally. (laughs) Right. So, um, I know that, uh, musicians uh, tend to tend to go towards certain songs, even though they've written a bunch. Um, what's, uh, what's a song or two on the record that you really like playing or that you find yourself going back to all the time? Well, magic has been in almost every set I've played live since it was written. It's one of those songs that kind of wrote itself and has been around for a very long time. And it's like, anytime I play it, there's either someone who's like, Oh my God, I love that song magic. I'd never heard it before. Or I hear someone in the crowd go magic, or I start to play it and they go, yeah, magic. (laughs) (laughs) So that's definitely one of them. Um, I mean, that one has the most, crowd appeal other than I have another tune from one of my earlier records called breaking it down, which has a similar appeal for folks, but it's mm-hmm. more of a rocker. I think people latch on to magic because I think everyone at some point in their life has had a connection with another 
person that just didn't work out. Hmm. And so there's this universal theme of unrequited love. Is that, is that the one I want to say? Star-crossed mm-hmm. lovers, unrequited love, mm-hmm. um, that what-if factor and the sorrow in it. And so I think people grab... And you know, it's funny. This is the funny part, Will. Um, I'm getting a lot of feedback on reviews of the record, and mm-hmm. people are picking... They're going to Chinese food and donuts. They're going to wild Mustangs. They're going to trouble. They're, you know, stay wild. Like, all these tunes. And, like, I naturally thought people would go, oh, my God, magic. <laughs> I haven't had people really attack it yet. And hmm. my husband had an interesting theory. He was like, I don't know that any studio recording has totally captured that song hmm. as it occurs live. And I said, that may be true. I said, I think this is the truest version, but maybe it's not a song that translates in the studio. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So um, this is kind of a weird deal with uh, everything being shut down with COVID and everything. Um, so normally when you put out a record, you, you would tour in support of it and whatnot. Um, uh, what, what, what are you doing now to um, uh, to promote the record? And um, are, you, are you doing some um, online shows and stuff like that? What's What, what have you been doing in regards to that? Earlier in the summer, I was doing a weekly live stream on Saturday night, Saturday night live stream. Um, I stopped doing them because I was, I started like booking some online festivals and I found that it was tricky doing, trying to get attention to the festivals while also doing a weekly stream. Mm. So I took a, took a pause. Plus I was getting close to releasing the record. And since I've been doing all the press for it, I was like, I kind of need time to just focus on that. Mm -hmm. So that's been my big focus was, and I I call this form of networking spider webbing (laughs) (laughs) because I, you know, it's about connections. And so there were connections I'd made over the years. And then my producer, Ted, had just put out a record in July. And so I started watching what he was doing. And another uh, person, Tawny Ellis, had put out um, a record and hers was in that world, too. And so I just started watching, like, where people were getting attention for their records. And then I just started cold calling and cold emailing. And it's been very successful, which is weird because I'm not normally that good at it. Hmm. Um, but I've had a lot of really good reaction. And I think also because I feel very strongly about this record, I'm very proud of it. I think it's a strong record. I think there are strong songs. And I think it, it lives very much in this world of people I've been contacting about it, like certain country radios, certain uh, blogs and magazines and and so it, it fits. And mm-hmm. I've also heard that because it's pandemic, there's fewer things just floating about. So it's easier for an indie or a smaller label artist to break through, through the noise, which has been great because I'm sure if it was regular season, it would be a lot harder to get as much attention to it as I have had. Um, I'm probably going to start live streaming a bit more because it makes sense. Um, it would be great if I could do it with another musician. I don't know that I'm that comfortable uh, with others around yet. Maybe if we did it like an outdoor socially distanced thing, I would feel better about it, but I haven't gotten there personally yet. And um, I don't know. It's weird. It is weird putting out music during a pandemic. 
Mm-hmm. There are some artists who are out playing outside shows. I haven't done any. I've only done live streams. And I have a few more live things coming up. I have something actually next weekend, the Outlaws of Folk series that Michael Ubaldini does out here. And okay. then there's a virtual festival that is celebrating women's suffrage. So I'll be doing that later. And there's also a save the, Help Save the Bitter End fundraiser that I'm doing in mid-September mm-hmm. because uh, I was... I was sought out from my New York days, <laughs> and uh, I, I always try to give back. I did one, uh, like a, uh, a live stream to help raise money for Rockwood Music Hall, too, because it was always a good room for me uh, when I lived out there. So, you know, a lot of this stuff is more charitable, and that's great. I like to do that, especially if I'm locked down. It's, it makes me feel like I'm doing service. Mm-hmm. Um but I think I will do some more live streams and they will over time maybe get fuller of band members. But for now, they will probably be more unplugged. And um, I just keep reaching out to folks and, you know, letting them know about the record, talking to people. I've done a few podcasts which aren't necessarily musically driven, but they're interesting because they shine a light on the artist as a person because they're not necessarily just about music. They're like either your journey in the music industry, which involves all the twists and turns of your life. Mm -hmm. Or I did one, which talks mainly about books and that's kind of cool because it (laughs) upped my summer reading game. And, um, you know, just keep on doing stuff. I mean, I have to say, I, I was already talking to Ted about like making, looking into making a new EP after we get through the main blast of this, because, uh, as I said to him, this may be my, my last full-length album. I don't know how much I want to do a bigger project like this. Right. Uh, again, I've done many, and um, the idea of doing singles or EPs seems a lot more manageable with my life these days. Uh, once we are more opened up, I'd like to start doing more regional touring. I miss it. Um, I haven't done big amounts of touring for many years. Just my life has gone a different direction. I've done a lot more studio projects and commercial music stuff and, you know, just other careers in general, mm-hmm. um, which I enjoy. So it's not like I'm doing it just as a, a side hustle. I, I do like doing other things as well. And so it scratches a lot of itches. Um, but, yeah, I would like to do some more live shows um, outside of just L.A. and do some more recording and if you, if you know the background, like this is not my sole genre. I have a lot of background in like electronic music too. And I have a project that's been done for almost a year, which is ready to go that we might try to put out as well. So there's always something in the fire, but um, it doesn't always like, it's not all in one direction necessarily. Right. Right. Well, if people want to find out more about you and uh, um, buy your music and merch and stuff like that, what's the best place to, uh, to look for you? Well, my website's a good place to start, and that's emilyzuzik.com. And then I'm uh, trying to beef up my my band camp as well. So it has both previous bands I've been in and the newer stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a lot of that stuff's already up there, and that's emilyzuzik.bandcamp.com. 
and, you know, you just search me on the web. I mean, Zuzik, there's only a few of us out there. <laughs> Most of the links are mine. <laughs> so you can find it on Spotify and, you know, iTunes and Google Play and Pandora and, you know, things right. like that. It's out there. Yeah. YouTube. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's all the questions I had for you. All right. Well, it was great talking to you. Yeah, that was a fun conversation. Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm really grateful for everyone who's uh, checked out the album, bought copies, been uh, you know very kind with their praises, with reviews and such. And I just invite everyone to check it out because I think it's a good album. And I think there's a little bit of something for anybody in there. And uh, I really appreciate you giving me some time on your show too. Over. 